thankful to be in church today. Amen.
make that your prayer this morning with hands lifted in this place. Come on, sing that. you thankful for the promises of Jesus that they still stand today, man.
Jesus can move any mountain out of our way this morning. Amen. to worship our God and our King this morning. Amen. Lord, I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you.
Come on, with hands lifted. Can we just lift our hands, lift our voice to the Lord right now? His spirit is so real in this room. We worship. Come on, sing out to him a new song this morning. We worship the almighty God, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Who is this king of glory? He's a Lord strong and mighty.
Could you put those words back up that says, I'll lift you over your trials? I'd like those up on the screen just for a moment. I will always lift you up over the battles, over the trials. How many of you believe that? How many of you really believe that? How many of you believe that he's bigger than any battle or trial that you face? Why do I believe that? I believe that because what we're gonna do this morning in celebrating communion is to remember that Jesus' body was broken so that ours could be whole. His blood was shed so that we could have newness of life. And uh, there's a burden on my heart this morning that I just want to challenge you with because I don't know where you are. I, I, no one knows the road you walk, the battle you face. Some of you heard probably a month ago that a Des Moines police officer committed suicide. No one had any idea that he was headed there. Good friend of mine, ministry friend over the years, his son committed suicide this week. Married in his 20s, powerful preacher. And so to you, the living, let me speak today. I, this is not an, an expression about suicide. This is an expression to the living. Suicide is never an answer. It leaves hurt and broken people behind. So I would beg you, I beg you, if you get to a place that you're that low in the pit, would you please reach out to somebody and not make that ultimately destructive decision? Because these words are true. Put those back up, leave them up there if you would for me, please. I will always, everybody say, I will always. I will always. Now, I know that's not scripture, but I believe it's true. Here's what scripture does say. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
he'll be there for you. And I, I just feel this morning, I don't know who's watching online in the North Chapel in the main auditorium here. If you get to that place, please, I, again, I beg you, don't make that choice. Let someone help you make a better choice. Why? Because his body. Are you hearing me this morning? His body was broken so that ours wouldn't have to be. He didn't die so that you could die. He died so that you could live. And we take time this morning to remember his body that was broken for us. Would you take the wafer this morning and just in your own way, begin to give Jesus thanks for his body that was broken for you? Jesus, we're so grateful that 2,000 years ago, you were willing in human time to leave the eternity of heaven and to live and dwell among us in a human form, allowing your body to be tormented and beaten and spit upon and nailed to a cross so that we could be healed by your stripes, so that out of your brokenness, we could receive wholeness. And this morning, we remember your body broken and we give thanks that out of your bro brokenness comes our wholeness. We remember your sacrifice today in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the wafer together. Now, if you'll join me in giving thanks for the cup. What is this? What is this blood about anyway? What is it about? Here's the promise of the blood. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however far you've fallen, his blood cleanses. Hello. His blood cleanses. Your sin and failure cannot ever be bigger than his redemptive provision. His blood cleanses. And we give thanks for that this morning. Would you give thanks to Jesus for his shed blood? Jesus, we give you thanks this morning that your blood makes the vilest sinner clean, that your blood brings us to a place of newness of life, into a new covenant relationship whereby we can boldly approach the throne of grace and find the help that we need in our time of need. We give you thanks for your shed blood that opened the curtain of heaven and gave us access into the Holy of Holies where the Father dwells. We're thankful for your shed blood and the healing, forgiving power of that blood that still avails today in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the cup together. Now join me and lift your hands and let's give him thanks. Would you do that? Give him thanks for his provision for us.
next to you and say, I'm loving Jesus this morning. And that was anemic. Just find out if we can still clap. Do you know how to do that? I know you can't shake hands. How many can still clap? Let me hear your hands. Uh, this morning's message and that video serves to remind us that we have a calling. 
That calling is not impacted by anything happening in the world around us. It transcends that. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And our calling is above the mundane things and troubling things of this world. And so we want to be faithful to that calling. And one of the things that we're going to do to help with that calling is we're going to make T-shirts available to you. Do we happen to have that slide for the T-shirts there somewhere? Um, if you've not seen them online, I would encourage you to order one. I was walking through Walmart and got blessed. Now, some of you get blessed just driving in Walmart parking lot. That's not me. But I saw a T-shirt that really got my attention. It was a little different than this. We didn't want to just copy it exactly. But, but I want to communicate this message to a world that's in dis depression, discouragement, and frustration today. What is it? Hashtag we are Berean. What does that mean? We're going to keep dancing. We're going to keep singing. We're going to keep believing. And we're going to keep loving. And everyone that believes that, raise your hand and say amen. That's who we are. It doesn't matter what else is happening. We're going to keep doing these things. And I would encourage you to order a T-shirt. We're doing that all online. It can be shipped to you or picked up here depending on what you select. But uh, take advantage of that, and let's say to the world around us, we're going to keep singing, we're going to keep dancing, we're going to keep believing, we're going to keep loving. Now, I will tell you that when I keep dancing, it'll be in the privacy of my home. <laughs> if you've seen that happen, you'd like it to stay there too, but it expresses joy. Also, I want you to know that we're not just going to go to sleep and forget what's happening in the world around us. Uh, City of Pleasant Hill made a decision that beggar's night will happen. And I, I have to tell you um, that I'm not a fan of Halloween. I just have never been a fan of Halloween and the deviltry and the stuff that goes on. I'm not a fan. I don't like skeletons and bats and curses and witches and all of that. But I think in the midst of a holiday, it's the role of the church to redeem that. And that's why we were doing glow in the dark. And I'm not going to encourage you to do that. You can. But we can't do it the same with social distancing. So we're going to do an event here on the grounds that I'm going to invite you to be a part of. Why? Because we have a calling to reach our community. And it's being called, uh, I'm never going to be able to say this without notes, Flix Train Trunks and Treats. Flix Trains Trunks and Treats. Um, what's going to happen on the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, which is beggar's night, from 6 to 8 each night, we're going to give an opportunity for kids to ride the train. We're getting the train back out. We'll have some short videos playing outside, short movies if they want to stop and watch that. And then we're going to have behind the church a row of cars with trunks open. And as people come through to give them some treats. Now, just we need volunteers to bring candy. How many remember that we bring candy? Um, if you're not sure it's any good, drop it at my office, and then I'll take it to the barrel. Bring candy, and we'll make that available. And so here's the rules. We want to honor what's going on in the culture, and so I just want you to be aware of that. The families that are helping us in the back will wear a mask. You will wear a mask. And it will be black, and it'll say in orange on it, hashtag we are Berean. <laughs> and then secondly, you will wear gloves. Yes, we're going to do that. And you'll have some kind of a mini shovel to scoop the candy in through the window or something. We'll have all that figured out. And then people can park and watch a video clip of sorts, something that'll be fun, and ride the train. It's going to be a great night, two hours each night, six to eight, that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of Beggar's Week. And I uh, encourage you to be aware of that. Bring candy and help us uh, give out. Why? Why? Because we have a calling. Yes. Hello, we have a calling. 
And I believe that revival that happens in the church isn't complete until it, what? Redeems the city. You rebuild the temple, you restore worship, and then you redeem the city. Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah tell us that story. And we're going to continue that journey in Ezra chapter 6 this morning. Danger in the land of Ono. Now, I know that's a Hebrew word, Ono, and it doesn't mean what it means to us. But I will tell you, nothing good has ever happened when I've heard myself say, Oh, no. How many of you, when you say, oh, no, that's a bad thing? Oh, no. My son called me one day some years ago, and he said, Dad, it's raining in the house. And I said, I don't know what that means. He said, well, the toilet started running and won't stop, and now there's water dripping through the ceiling on the main floor, through the floor on the main floor into the basement. And my reaction was, oh, no. Hello? How many of you have had an oh no moment? Yeah, the rest of you are, are, are lying. That's all I can say. We've all had oh no moments. And in this progression of building the walls, in chapter 6, the walls are done. The only thing left is the gates have to be installed. And the enemy recognizes this is the last chance to stop revival from impacting the city walls. We've got to make it stop somehow. And what we see in chapter 6 are attacks that the devil will bring against you in those moments that you're about to win the greatest victory of your life. And we need to be aware of that, those attacks that will come. And it's really a unique attack that comes in four different ways in Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, the word ono in Hebrew means to be vigorous or strong. And that sounds like a good thing. So the enemies of God say to Nehemiah, let's meet in the land of Ono. Let's meet in the land of strength. And to you, that might sound really good. But I I want you to understand this morning that the devil will invite you to his place of strength so that he can strip you of your place of strength. And to be really careful about that. This land of vigor is not a vigor that Nehemiah needs to experience. There are things that invigorate the world that we ought to stay away from. Somebody say amen now. There's some things that encourage the world that ought to discourage us. There's some things that make people in this worldly system excited that ought to cause us to withdraw and regroup our resources because the strength of the world is the weakness of the church and the weakness of God is the strength of the body of Christ. So don't be defeated in the devil's place of strength. So how's that going to happen? Number one, here's some principles I want you to grab hold of. Number one, don't dialogue with the devil. (laughs) Now careful, I'm not encouraging you to call people the devil. But Sanballat and Geshem come to, or Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem come to Nehemiah and say, we want to meet with you. Now, how many of you know by this point, as we've gone through Nehemiah, that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are not friends of the kingdom of God? Three of you know that. All right, let's go to Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to be here a while this morning. No, I'm kidding. They're the enemies of the work of God. And so when they say we want to meet, 
The spiritual senses ought to be on high alert. We want to talk to you. Nothing good is going to come. Listen to me carefully. Nothing good will ever come from your dialoguing with people who hate the church. Now, people who are outside the household of faith that want to have an honest dialogue, there will, there, good things can come out of that. But I don't, I don't know why it is, but there's a bad boy syndrome that young ladies sometimes experience when they're dating. How many have heard of that where a girl thinks she's going to reform the bad boy? How many have heard that story? And how many of you know that almost always ends badly? It doesn't work. The same is true with the church. When you dialogue with people that are diametrically opposed to the work of the kingdom, their whole intent is to unsettle you or derail you, and you shouldn't spend time talking to people whose intent is to destroy the work of God. You can combat them, you can refute them, but even in Proverbs it tells us, don't answer a fool according to their folly. There's some conversations that you and I should not have. In fact, the book of Genesis begins with that. How many of you remember somebody named Adam and somebody named Eve? Hold up your neighbor's hand. I'm worried about our biblical literacy this morning. How many have heard of Adam and Eve? Let me see. Oh, I feel so much better. What happened? Eve dialogued with the devil. And because of that, we all got banished from the garden and inherited a sin nature because Adam went along with it. And all he said was, has God really said that? Did God really mean that? Well, you know that God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to have a knowledge of good and evil. And so when you do, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to experience life like never before. And because she entered into dialogue with the devil and saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes and good to eat, and she hung around that place, there was a terrible collapse of the experience in the garden. Some dialogue, some people, some demonic forces, don't waste your time talking to them. I've watched over the years Christians derailed thinking they're going to help someone that hates the kingdom. Those dialogues will destroy you. I have watched debates between atheists and believers. Those are never honest. They're never honest. The intent is to derail the believer, to unsettle faith. It's not about coming to the truth. It's about destroying your opponent. You can't negotiate with evil. You have to cast down vain imaginations and every evil thought. If there's anyone you're going to reason together with, let it be reasoned together with God. God said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be white as wool. That that's the dialogue you need to have. Dialogue with God. Dialogue with godly people. Dialogue with people who are biblically sound. Because when you begin to dialogue with the devil in the devil's place of strength, the whole intent will be to destroy you. And I 
wish I could go around and shake some people and say, you're on dangerous ground. Quit having that conversation. Quit listening to Bill Maher. Quit listening to Joy Behar. Quit listening to some of those people out there whose intent is to destroy the work of the kingdom. Don't listen to them because their intent is to dissuade you. And you might think you're strong enough, but Eve wasn't. Eve wasn't. Find your place. Don't battle them in the place of strength. You can't negotiate with evil. Now, Nehemiah recognizes that because it says in verse uh, 2, they were scheming to harm me. How did he know that? How did he know they were scheming to harm him? I mean, they're friendly. We just want to have a chat. Well, there, there are several things that give indication, but let me just say first, I think it was just the inner, inner warning of the Spirit of God. Please, don't ignore that check of the Spirit. When you feel like a situation you're entering into is unhealthy, don't find out the hard way. Pull back. Pull back. Pull back. Don't engage in that. There'll be a warning of the Spirit. But what would be some of the warning signs? One of the warning signs would be that they wanted to have a dialogue outside the city of God. Want a dialogue over here? How about if we meet at the bar? How about if we meet at the club? How about if we meet somewhere else? Let's get away from the church. Let's get away from righteousness. Let's get out in somewhere else where I can control the context. I want to meet outside of there. Not going to talk with you there. Come to our place, the place of our strength. But here's the greatest warning, and you can write this down. It'll help you. When your foes suddenly become your friends, you're in trouble. Help me, somebody. When people who have adamantly been opposed to you and have fought you and have insulted you all of a sudden become friendly to you, look out. They're not here to help you. They're here to deceive you. The wicked witch has an apple for you. The deceiver has some candy for you. Some, uh, what were they called in Narnia? Turkish delights. There's something to offer you, a sweetness to offer you that's intended to dissuade you. When your foes suddenly become friendly, be on your guard. And what does he say? I'm carrying on a great work and I cannot come down. Now note, he doesn't accuse them. That's the other mistake we make. He doesn't say, you mean me harm. I, I've discerned you have a bad spirit. Do you notice he doesn't appeal to their evil. He appeals to his calling. <laughs> he doesn't try to convince them that he knows what they're up to because they'll just argue more until they convince you. He doesn't say, you, you wicked reprobates. He simply says, no. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I've got to keep my hand to what God's called me to do. And that happens. They make four approaches to him and say, we want to meet with, we just want to talk. We just want to talk. (laughs) How many tragedies have started with, we just want to talk. In private. Four times they come and four times he appeals to his calling. I have a calling. 
and I'm not backing down from that. What's God called you to do? Hold to that. Don't move from that. Don't let any, don't let any discussion move you from what God's called you to do to a place of the devil's strength, a place of argument. He doesn't accuse. He consistently appeals to the work. How's it going to affect the work of God? How's it going to affect what I'm doing? If I leave the work of God, the, the work of God's going to stop. I've got to keep doing what God's called me. Stay focused on God's calling. What is that? To lead your friends and family to Jesus Christ, to lift Jesus up in this dark and dying world, to support missions around the world, to impact people for the kingdom. That's our calling. Now, second, so don't dialogue with the devil. This, I should call this the don't message. I usually try to put my main points as a positive, but sometimes, sometimes we need to hear the word don't. <laughs> I think I'll play a song and sing a while. Maybe that'll work this morning. <laughs> don't be distracted by the rumor mill. Don't be distracted by the rumor mill. Fifth attempt to get Nehemiah to meet because they mean him harm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if Nehemiah has this meeting, he'll never be heard of again. So they send a letter and it tells us beginning in verse five of chapter six, then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which the following was written. What was an unsealed letter? Well. An unsealed letter in this time in Old Testament history was an open rebuke. It was an insult. Normally, letters of a serious nature would be sealed and put in a silk bag, and the silk bag would be sealed, and only the recipient had the right to open it. But when it was sent unsealed, it meant you didn't care who read it. In fact, you hoped everybody read it. In fact, you hoped that everybody saw what you had to say before it got to the person that you needed to dialogue. That is where Facebook began. unsealed letter, an open letter, an open, are you kidding me? An open letter is never intended to resolve anything. It's only intended to inflame. And so he has this open letter that he's sending around. It was an insult intended to bring pressure on Nehemiah by others who read it. If everyone else hears this, maybe we can get the pastor to change. <clears throat> if everyone else reads it, maybe they'll give up their stance. I'm just going to remind you, it happens from time to time. I do not respond to anonymous letters. So I got one this week. I don't know who, someone here, Brian, and I know men it in a good spirit, probably, I hope, but no return address, no name on the envelope, and no name underneath, just some uh, uh, cryptic kind of signing. I don't know who it was. And I have to tell you, I'd love to dialogue with you about it, but that goes straight into my trash. So you wasted your time and mine and a stamp because I'm going to dialogue with people. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not going to take open letters, shots in the dark. And if you take me on on Facebook, it'll make you look foolish. There needs to be interaction between us because the whole intent is to start a rumor, is to start a move or to start something in place 
that can't be responded to. I don't like being slapped and I don't like being spit on. And that's what they're doing to Nehemiah. Here's an open letter. We hope everybody reads it. And in this letter, in this letter was an accusation that he was intending to do wrong that had no truth in it. I want to be really careful here. I don't want anyone to take this wrong, but Tom Wickersham, man of integrity and character. How many believe that? Hold up your hand, even if you don't know him. Hold up your hand. <laughs> All I've got to do is say, hey, Barry, I heard that Tom cheats on his taxes. There doesn't have to be an element of truth in that, but the damage is already done because I've created a question and sent it into people's hearts. Does that happen? Oh, all the time. That's also called Facebook. All the time, over and over and over again, it happens. It's the innuendo. And there is nothing in this letter that's, that is sent to Nehemiah that has any element of truth, but it doesn't have to because we have a fallen nature. We're car wreck people. You can't drive by an accident without and causing another one. Want to pull over? I wonder what, oh, I might know that person. You don't know that person. You just want to see what, what took place. We want to see the tragedy, the accident. And so what happens with this open letter, people are going to lie about you. People are going to say things about you. And here's what cracks me up. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. <laughs> well, who is Geshem? And who cares what Geshem has to say? I mean, that should have, shouldn't that have settled it for the people of God? Shouldn't the character of Geshem shut up the letter and the character of Nehemiah refuted the letter? But it doesn't. They read it. They listen to that. So when you hear someone telling a story about someone else, consider this old saying, but it's true. Consider the Consider the source. Where is it coming from? That person's always been a liar. They're lying now. They've always been opposed to the kingdom of God. They're opposed to it now. Over the years, I've been accused of some outlandish things that had no measure in truth but had to defend it with people of God simply because they weren't discerning enough or smart enough to consider the source. So when that happens to you, what do you do? You spend the rest of your life trying to put out the rumors. No, you'll go to your grave. Story, old story is told about a lady in the church that was a gossip. It could have been a man, but in this story it was a lady. Mm. <laughs> Pastor called her in, had a conversation with her. And, and at the end of the conversation, a miracle happened. A miracle happened. She admitted she was wrong. Gossips don't do that. She said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. He said, all right, well, I appreciate that. And there was a hill out behind the church. How many have heard the story? 
They walk to the top of the hill. He brings a feather pillow with, her, with him. And then he rips the feather pillow open and he throws the feathers in the air. And he says to her, if you're truly sorry, reclaim all those feathers and put them back in this pillow. And she said, that's impossible. I can't retrieve all those feathers. And he said, neither can you re retrieve all the damage that's been done by your gossip. It's all out there. You can be sorry all day, but those words have taken on a life of their own. You can't chase those down. You can just live contrary to them. You can just live contrary to them. I'll never, first time I had that happen, um, I went to church. I was in high school. I was at church one night, and one of my friends came up to me and said, have you started smoking? I was a junior in high school. Have you started smoking? No. No. What would make you say that? Well, your sister said she saw you outside the high school smoking. I thought, what in the world? What in the world? Frankly, I wanted to beat truth into her. And I began to think about that moment, that day when she saw, yeah, I was, do you know what really happened? I play a trumpet. Our band was getting on the bus to go play for an elementary school and it was cold out. And to be ready to play a brass instrument, you wanna keep the mouthpiece warm. So I'm holding it cup in my hand with the stem sticking out, blowing through the mouthpiece and smoke. No, steam is coming up out of the end of the mouthpiece and it looks a little thin cylinder smoke coming out. It looks like I'm smoking. But, what, but my sister started a whole rumor that I had to try to chase down because rather than talking to me, who did she tell it to? My friends. There was nothing of integrity in that moment. Hello? And she understood very clearly later how I felt about that. My point being, there doesn't have to be a shred of truth in it for people to believe it. And if you think that no one is going to accuse you, forget it. They are going to accuse you. At least this letter wasn't anonymous. At least he knew where it came from. At least he could track it back. And people knew and could evaluate the character. Who is Geshem anyway? It attacks motivation. The rumor mill has an agenda. It weakens those it attacks. And how does he respond? He prays, God, strengthen my hands. Help me work harder. There's only one way to deal with rumors and to live in a way that refutes them. You won't win those in argument. Quit, forget about the rumors and keep doing the right things and say, watch me, follow me, go with me. God, give me strength to work a little bit harder. How many are hearing me this morning? Rumors will come against you probably already have. Someone has lied about you. What do you do? You're not going to stop those. You just got to live better than those. Don't be deceived. Or, or, I mean, don't be distracted by the rumor mill. This next one then in verse 10, the challenge changes. Don't be deceived by pseudo-spirituality. Don't be deceived by pseudo-spirituality, a fake spirituality. Do you know what one of the signs of the end times is going to be? 
false prophets and false teachers, and they're abounding right now. If you look at the history of the church, anytime a culture goes into trouble or tension or strife, there'll be false teachers that rise up that'll give us answers that aren't true because above all else, we want an answer. Doesn't have to be true. We just want an answer. I'll never forget sitting in the barber chair at Ames. I've told this story numerous times, but there might be one person who hasn't heard it. Sitting in the barber chair, Main Street is torn up. Someone sticks their head in the barber's office and says to Tom the barber, when will this street be opened back up? He said it'll be in October, October 4th. It's supposed to be done. Oh, thank you, and went on their way. And I said, Tom, what's your inside track? How do you know that? He said, I don't know that. I don't know that that's true. Why would you lie to people? He said, because I've learned something the hard way sitting here. When people walk in my door, they don't want me to not know. They want an answer. And if I don't know, they chew me out. And if I make one up, they leave happy. <laughs> and then I'm happy. He had no moral uh, <laughs> Uh, frustration with doing that it just was a way to move them on just to tell them a story and in the church we want an answer we don't even dig down to see whether it's true and if someone today can say I had a vision <laughs> we get goosebumps all over a dream or a vision it's got to be from God hmm. our authority is the word and I wish that people spent as much time examining scripture as they do examining visions and dreams and prophetic declarations. I listened to a man, you probably have read it, several people sent it to me, who's had a vision of, he's had three dreams about the end times, and I listened to him describe it, and he said, I read, I think it was, it was like 50-some papers I read every morning. I'll promise you he doesn't read that much of scripture every morning. You can't. Not have a job. Maybe he doesn't have a job. Well, he's a pastor, so. That's debatable how he approaches that. I'm just saying. I, it's, my, it's my occupation. I know how sometimes it happens. You need to fill yourself with the word, not with worldly rags what's being said all around the world. Fill yourself with the word of God. So it, it just says, this is so great, this chapter. In verse 10, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was shut in his home, shut in at his home. <laughs> one day, I, I spent at least an hour digging to try to find out why Nehemiah went to this guy's house. We don't know. We just know he did. And what does shut in mean? He was the son of a priest, was in the priesthood, and shut in meant that he had experienced some ceremonial uncleanness that would forbid him to go to the temple. He couldn't enter into the temple because of a time of purification, so he was quarantined. <laughs> and best I can determine is Nehemiah just went by to check on his friend. 
how's it going, how are you doing, just stops by. And when Nehemiah happens to stop by, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that somebody who meant ill came to Nehemiah and said, hey, have you checked on, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Shemaiah, whatever his name is, have you checked on him? Oh, maybe I should go see him. He said, yeah, you ought to go check on him. And he says, basically says this, I have a word from God for you. He's prophesying is the way the scripture describes it. <laughs> Can I just talk to you for a minute? If you want all of my defenses to go up, I mean, if you want to watch all of my armor go on, all of my defenses go up immediately, just watch. You can just watch it happen. It's to walk up to me and say, Pastor, I have a word from God for you. I've had numerous words from God from people to me. And 95% of them have been driven by their own ambition or their own desires or their own agenda. I have a handful that could go in one hand. A woman prophesied over Carol and I at family camp and everything she said came to pass and it was a word I needed in that moment to hang on. I was at a uh, Convoy of Hope outreach and had one of the members of our church give me a written prophecy and as I read that I wept it spoke right into my spirit. Yes, those happen, but most of those are simply an agenda attached to the name of God to give it more emphasis so you'll fall for it. We need discernment in these days. I've said for years, and this may be a little harsh, but I've said for years that if the Antichrist had a good PR man, he'd preach in most Pentecostal circles because he'll be able to do miracles. We need a discernment. We need to be filled with the word. And when he says, listen, I have a word from God. This is what we need to do. There's some men that want to kill you. And let's go to the house of God because they can't go in the temple to get you. I'll go with you. What would happen if you obeyed that word from God? He would have defiled the temple by going in with this unclean priest. And he didn't have the right to go into that <coughs> part of the temple. His entire reputation would have been ruined in that moment and everything that he had done for God would have been stopped and it would be the end of the road. We find out that Shemaiah prophesied for hire. It would have put Nehemiah in violation of the law of God. So if you ever say, Pentecostals, I believe that God speaks to us and prophecy is taking what God speaks to you and proclaiming that to people. I believe that. I'm committed to it. We're to covet to prophesy. But in the day of judgment, you'll give an account for every time you said that God told you something he didn't tell you. You better approach it with holiness and reverence and respect and make sure that God has spoken to you. Because I found something interesting one time reading about the cleansing of the temple. How many remember when Jesus went in and cleansed the temple? I believe it happened twice. Once at the beginning, one at the end of his ministry. And in one of those occasions, at the beginning of his ministry, something really unique happens. It's recorded in John. It says this, that um, Jesus found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge out of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen drove them out, turned over the changers of money's table, overthrew their tables, and then, watch, are you, how many are still with me? 
So all this is happening. He's kicking stuff over, chased them all out. And then he turns and he speaks specifically to those that sold doves. What are doves? Doves represent the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It also represents a pure sacrifice. It represents the heart of the worship experience. He says to the keepers of the doves, who are we today? Forgive me for this if you feel like this is an overreach, but I believe that the Pentecostal church has been entrusted with God to be the keepers of the full gospel experience and of the supernatural. Not that no one else has it, but we claim to be that people, and he's going to hold us accountable for how we handle the dove. Okay? He said to those that sold doves, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Do not merchandise the things of the Spirit. Do not make money. Do not profit yourself. Do not take advantage of people financially by the gift of the dove. How many are hearing me? There are people that are doing that all over the Pentecostal world today, selling miracle water that if you drink it, you're going to have a new house. All kinds of things are being thrown out there. We need discernment. There's a pseudo-spirituality that will suck you in and give you an answer that will lead you to destruction. The end of that will be your death. B.H. Clendenin, one of the great preachers of the Pentecostal church, said this. It doesn't matter what you've seen, how many dreams you've had, how many visions you saw, how much you've been picked up, or if whatever you're talking about and what you're teaching isn't absolutely sunk in the roots of the Bible, it came out of hell and has to be rejected. I'm glad I didn't say that. It's a little harsh. Doesn't matter how many dreams, how many visions, how many people quote you, how many people follow you. If it's not rooted in scripture, it's spawned in hell. We need to be careful, church. I'm calling us to a place of, we ought to once again be in awe and reverence over the moving of the spirit of God. We need it back, but I don't believe that God is gonna trust the American church with a genuine revival of his spirit that'll redeem the city until we respect the dove again. Until we quit merchandising the supernatural, quit merchandising the things of the spirit and in awe pursue after him again. And the church that will do that will see the power of the Holy Spirit released and will be the catalyst for the end time revival that I believe that God wants to bring. So what does he say to this pseudo-spiritual group? He said, should such a man such as I run, I'm not running. The prophetess Noadiah brought others to intimidate him, and he said, I'm not running. Why did the prophetess, why did they come to him? Listen, I want you to grab this, because when God begins to change, the power structures in the church begin to crumble. And the power centers don't like to see change. The prophets have had their way. And now the work is being restored. They don't want to see that happen. Power centers begin to crumble. The spiritual power centers. Fourth, don't be dismayed when trouble doesn't stop. How many of you would like trouble to stop? Oh, pastor, I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait till this coronavirus goes away and we'll be okay again. You need another bowl of Wheaties. 
because I'm just telling you, there's another one coming. And there's another one coming. And there's another one coming. And the Bible tells us that's going to amplify and accelerate the closer we get to Jesus' return. Because what they do, the surrounding nations were afraid. The wall's completed. They lose self-confidence. They recognize the hand of God. Time to rejoice, right? No. Because the people of God start listening to the people on the outside again. They start listening to the lies. God's will does not guarantee external peace. God's will guarantees internal and eternal peace. What is the message of the gospel? It's peace in the midst of the storm. It's in the midst of the storm that we're able to say, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attends my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot you have taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul the trouble doesn't have to stop for you to have peace they're going to keep doing their garbage but we can walk in heavenly places in Christ amen let's stand together And I don't know what attack you're under today. Maybe not one of any of these. I don't know what you're going through, but I will tell you that God is on the throne, that his calling is real, and we're doing a great work, and we can't come down. Come on, help me this morning. I said we're involved in a great work, and we can't come down. And we will not respond to the intimidation of the enemy. Let's worship God together.
Jesus, we give you thanks for your love for us. Thank you for the calling you've placed on our lives. And help us not be distracted or dissuaded from that by the attacks, the subtle attacks of the enemy. Because we are not ignorant of his devices. But we put our hope and confidence in you. Help us do the work that you've called us to do. To not give up. To not withdraw. Our desire is that you would strengthen our hands for the work you called us to do. In Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen. amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. If you love Jesus.